You're listening to the TheoEd Podcast with your host, Janine Warrington. In our Big Ideas episodes, we have conversations with TheoEd speakers and dive deeper into the big ideas that they presented in their TheoEd talks. On today's episode, we welcome Dr. Patrick Reyes, Senior Director of Learning Design at the Forum for Theological Exploration and author of Nobody Cries When We Die and The Purpose Gap. His February 2019 Theo Ed talk entitled Wanted, Dead or Alive, compares the experiences of people of color in America with the story of Hagar and Ishmael in Genesis. Patrick, thank you for joining us for a conversation to dive deeper into the contents of your talk. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So in your talk, you share stories of hurt and trauma from your own life and your past, and you talk about the story of Hagar and Ishmael, drawing parallels between these stories. Do you find it helpful to see yourself in the stories of scripture in this way? Absolutely. I mean, to give folks some context, I mean, I was raised Roman Catholic, uh, Mexican Roman Catholic. And so stories, narratives, we may not read scripture or memorize line by line, but we know those stories really well. So stories are central to how we engage with our tradition and our and our practices. And those um, stories in particular in the Hebrew Bible of liberation, of struggle, those are the ones that for at least for Latinos like me and Chicanos out in, you know, Southern California, Central California, Northern California, all the places I've been on the best coast. Um, those are the, those are the stories that I, I gravitate towards because they're stories of the land, stories of our people. Mm. Why do you think that we look for connections between violence and grief in our lives and the stories in scripture? Do these stories help us make sense of the world? Do they provide comfort to us? What's the the goal in looking for ourselves in scripture? Yeah, I wish I was a psychologist so I can answer like what's going on in the brain there. I would just say that, you know, I, I think it's as I look at scripture, if I think about our traditions and I think about my own work, I mean, I was trained as a practical theologian that the scriptures, especially Hebrew Bible, and I would say even in the New Testament, what Jesus is wrestling with, they're stories of struggle and survival. That's what the stories are. They're stories of violence and trauma. It's a people trying to find their way. This is the heart of our kind of traditions, our practices. How do we make our way out of no way? As you know, my our president at FT, uh, Stephen Lewis, he just has a book out on this. I mean, this is to me, this is the heart of our of our tradition is to really try to make sense of trauma and suffering and violence and, and uh, put the pieces back together. Um, you know, some of, for me, at least out of my tradition, you know, there's this idea of the Shekinah, the, the, the God that is putting the fragments of our life together. And um, especially as, you know, the, the traditions and the stories don't hold up quite as well. And that's what, I mean, at least my experience in growing up when trauma happens, when violence happens as a survivor of domestic abuse, a survivor of poverty in the fields, the first in education desert, as I think about all these things that kind of mark my upbringing and my people back home, I, I think about oh, scripture has a lot to say about this. This is what a Mm. lot of our writers in our holy texts are trying to struggle with. How do I make sense of this in in the age of empire? 
How do we make community on the margins? How do we find ways um, through the wilderness and through the desert? These are these aren't just stories that were for back then. The themes kind of carry forward, and I think our people gravitate towards them because it provides a sense of community, hope that we've been part. Of. This is a longer struggle that we've been a part of. So, yeah, for me, it really is. These are the stories that really ground and say, "Oh, I'm." not crazy. The world's not supposed to work this way. And I am. And there are traditions that can help us create something new. Yeah. And it, it sort of feels at first when we listen to your talk, like the story of Hagar and Ishmael doesn't often get to be in the limelight. It's sort of thought of as a peripheral story. But as you were just talking, I I was thinking, no, these themes are carried throughout the biggest, most prominent stories in scripture, like Egypt is oppressing Israel, and that is core to the whole development of the story of Israel. I mean, one of the reasons why I love that story in particular is one is I can just identify with Ishmael. Ishmael is, mm. you know, he's promised something. I think I was promised something. There's a there's a birthright when I grew up that I could. I could have done something special. I could be something special. Every kid hears that you can be whatever you want to be. And at the same time, being raised by a brown man in this country, being brown myself and growing up on the margins, being cast aside. And so many people from teachers to the correctional facility to education systems at every single point in my journey, someone has said, you don't belong. Get get out, get the Mm. hell out. Or in some cases, try to take my life. And so I find myself at the well. And I I also find a lot of sympathy with Hagar in that moment. And as I talk about my talk for my dad in particular, because there are so many parents who are also trying to raise folks on the margins who are, who can name God. She's the first one to name God, (laughs) you know, like to use the words for it. And Ishmael sitting there and can hear God. That's literally what it means. So I I think this is one of those moments, one of those stories that's so beautiful for, for those of us who are on the margins that we are called even in these moments and that, that there will be a delivery, be deliverance on that promise that um, of survival of, and that, you know, hey, I, I can still be a wild ass of a man. That's that's for sure. But it makes sense when you take into account the amount of trauma that myself and our communities are experiencing. Of course, that's not a like that's not a character flaw. That is a result of the conditions in which we find ourselves like what well, I'm, I'm surviving. Of course, I'm not going to be, you know, prim and proper. Mm. I, I really have to do some survival. So for me, it's just, it's such a great story to kind of reframe who's center, who should be center of these, of our traditions, of our communities. And, uh, and of course I, I identify with those characters. So those, it seems like what people are saying about Ishmael is what's been said about me, <laughs> still being said about me. That really brings that story to life in a whole new way for me as a white person. Cool. Um, so connected to that, I'm curious uh, what you might recommend to people and especially black indigenous and people of color who want to see themselves in the pages of scripture, but they aren't getting that representation from the pulpit at church or in Bible study devotionals. How do they seek to see themselves in the pages of scripture? Yeah, write it, man. I mean, this is what my work is at FT is all about. This is, uh, we've been at uh, Supporting Scholars of Color since 1968. And I think there is, because of colonialism, because of the way that Western Christianity has been transmitted, that 
uh, we need to write our stories, write ourselves into these narratives, write the books, tell the stories, preach from the pulpits, do the TED Talks, get the get or Theo Ed Talks, get on the YouTube channels, on all the socials. I'm not going to try to date myself and misrepresent all the names of all the social channels you should be on. But I think there is something about claiming our rights to the story to the narrative and being okay when sometimes the stare, the narrative, the stories that have been told from churches, especially from um, majority white churches, that those might not be our stories. And that's okay. Like we need to reclaim and retell our own stories and our, from our own perspective and, and say these, some of these biblical narratives don't translate as well as they should to contemporary times. And maybe we should wrestle with those texts a little bit longer or say this, actually, this is not, it's a lesson for us not to do it this way. I'm thinking of indigenous folks that are reading Hebrew scriptures and thinking about the land and, you know, my, and right now my family, you know, is kind of split between indigeneity folks who have been here on this continent for a long time. We have a right to the stories, the narratives, the practices, the traditions, the engagement with the land here. And some came over, <laughs> you know, so we're, we're wrestling as I raise my kids to really think about what does that mean? What does that mean to try to wrestle with the both and, and I think we have to do the same with scripture for BIPOC communities and especially this next generation of pastoral leaders and church leaders and theological educators to really start telling new stories, ask new questions of scripture and see what emerges and claim it. Like, Hey, we're, we, we need to tell more stories, not less. Well, thank you for being on the front lines of doing that work. Um, and yeah, I definitely want to hear all your stories to you who are listening. So be out there telling those stories for sure. Uh, so I'd like to kind of pivot a little bit. We've been talking mostly about scripture, but you end your talk by calling listeners to find what brings them to life and then to pursue that. And you do a lot of writing on vocation and purpose. Um, when you first delivered your talk, it was 2019 and a lot has happened since then. I'm curious if your uh the way you think about vocation has shifted at all since then, especially in light of the global coronavirus pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, part of the reason why I wrote the Purpose Gap, which is a follow-up, which came out after the talk as well, was in relation to this. So, so much of my work uh, prior to 2019 was really about how does an individual find meaning and purpose? How do they find their own sense of call? It was pretty much uh, standard hero's journey stuff, you know, like, Hey, you got to go out and find like, like you said, survive and find what calls you to life. That was a thing. And it was during right at the end of 2019. Um, actually after I delivered the Theo Ed talk, um, I was out talking, doing something very similar. And, um, my dad called me and told me that a cousin had passed away and thinking about my cousin really started making me think more about the conditions. How are we thinking about the global conditions, the societal conditions that a lot of times kind of put our life in perspective? And what does it mean to call a community to life instead of an individual? So my work has really shifted from, I still think all that's good. People should be thinking about their own vocation, what brings them meaning and purpose, but it has shifted towards how do we cultivate communal sense of belonging communal sense of vocation? How do we see ourselves as good ancestors or contributing into a longer ancestral lineage? Because we're killing this planet. The global pandemic put suffering front and center. We lost in the U.S. We lost a million people, over a million people. Um, and it 
especially our old and vulnerable, the elders, like we lost a generation of wisdom faster than we should have. And we we're missing out on that practice. You know, me as a young person, I'm, I'm not acting as a elder in training or an ancestor in training by allowing something like that to happen because we couldn't collectively get our stuff together. So I think as we think about what's happened in the last couple of years, my work has really moved more towards towards communal vocation. How do we think about meaning and purpose on a communal level? How do we cultivate that sense of belonging across difference? And how do we see ourselves in a longer ancestral tradition? So that way, you know, there's folks who, you know, generations from now will benefit from what we're planting together. And in a very practical way, this can still impact a person's you know, individuals. I say this is finding new ways to introduce yourself. So the way I introduce myself now is different than I did in 2019. Now I say, hey, I'm I'm sitting between five generations of Carmelitas. Five generations back, there was a Carmelita. I've written about her. My grandma's name was Carmelita. My daughter's name is Carmelita. And five generations, I'm sure it'll be a Carmelita. And that humbles me. <laughs> five generations back, there was no Patricio. There's no little Patrick in their imagination. They were making conditions away for me to exist. And in five generations, that Carmelita won't know who I am. But I hope that by centering love and the wisdom and our traditions and our practice and trying to create conditions for future generations to thrive in that five generation outlook, I think we can we can start positioning our vocations in ways that benefit more than just what do I want to do or who do I want to be? It can be about who do we want to be? What kind of world do we want to live in? What type of values do we want to uphold together? And that's really where most of my work has shifted towards. Well, that's really powerful. Uh, I'm curious if you have any sort of tangible next steps for people who want to pursue a communal vocation or figure out what their communal vocation is. Where would you recommend people start? Yeah, a couple of great things. One is, I mean, if they're listening to Theoed uh, talks, I mean, go on there. A whole bunch of FT leaders of our fellows, alumni have given great talks on this. I'm thinking of Will Gaffney, who's wrestled with the tradition and practices, Michelle Guidry. I mean, the, you you have had the best uh, of our group up on that, on your site. FT Leaders, um, if you go to ftleaders.org, our website, we have a bunch of resources, including courses and grants to help people really kind of think about that and work through some materials around how you would do that. And then, of course, if they want more information about how I do this or how I think about this, you can head on over to and get the book. The Purpose Gap really is a exploration of how do we do this communal vocation thing from uh, both using big data statistics, what's going on in our world, but also some great sacred practices uh, that come out of our traditions, come out of my own indigenous Chicano traditions um, that are gifts, hopefully to a wider public and audience, Um, really the gifts of my, all those Carmelitas that came before me and a little bit of the Carmelita that I'm raising. Uh, There's a couple of stories from my daughter that are just, I think are just precious. So yeah, that'd be where I'd send people. Awesome. And we'll include links to the FTE website and your book in the show notes. So uh, if listeners want to find those, that'll be easy to find. Great. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for joining us. This was a wonderful conversation. Uh, If you want to listen to Patrick's Theo Ed talk, Wanted, Dead or Alive, you can do that on this podcast or you can find the recording of that talk on theoed.com. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We hope this conversation has sparked some big ideas in our listeners. 
If you have suggestions for future TheoEd brief talks or big ideas, visit our website at theoed.com to submit your suggestions. <laughs>